Welcome to Screen Time with Rokan and Richard Roper, where we talk about everything that you could see on a screen, whether it's a handheld screen, or a medium-sized screen, or a giant-ass screen. It's Screen Time. Rokan has the week off, but I wanted to join you guys and talk about some happenings in the world of popular culture, also give you some reviews, and then we'll be back next week with two all-new podcasts. But this is an all-new podcast as well, and I want to tell you from the start, the Rowan Roper Podcast is brought to you by AmericanEagle.com Studios. The digital landscape is changing rapidly, and to compete in today's online business environment, you need an experienced partner. Since 1995, AmericanEagle.com has partnered with companies of all sizes, offering web design, web development, e-commerce, mobile apps, and digital marketing to drive your overall success because they believe that today's online world is your online opportunity. Visit AmericanEagle.com to get started today. I'm in the AmericanEagle.com studios as we speak. See that? That's me banging up against the mic, which drives everybody nuts, but I move my hands around a lot when I talk. Want to talk about the latest with the Oscars, uh, cleaning up a little bit from the Super Bowl. And we're also going to talk about two con artists who are making waves on Netflix. I should say shows about con artists. The fine folks at Netflix are not conning us at all. We know that. And also I'm going to have um, plenty of reviews of new stuff coming to theaters and on streaming. Um, okay, first of all, we finally have hosts for the Oscars. The Oscars are March 27th. They finally announced the hosts. They're going to be Regina Hall, Amy Schumer, and Wanda Sykes. Three comedic veterans, three popular personalities. Uh, we've talked about this before. Usually when it comes to the Oscars, they announce the host six or eight months in advance. I've talked to hosts, to people who have hosted the Oscars, including Jimmy Kimmel and Billy Crystal, and, and they talk about if you're really going to host the Oscars and do it right, and obviously these are people that have a lot of other things on their plate, everybody who's ever hosted the Oscars, you need usually several months because you put together a writing team, you figure out if you're going to do some elaborate filmed bits, you work with maybe bringing in some surprise guest stars. It's, it's a whole thing, it, all for one night, and you're kind of damned if you do and damned if you don't. If you do a really good job, everyone says, well, it's the Oscars, all you're doing is just acting as a traffic cop. And if you bomb or save one thing, you know, incorrectly, it's like the Super Bowl halftime show, which I thought was great this year. But I tweeted during the first half of the Super Bowl, 40 seconds into the show, you're going to see a thousand people on Twitter saying this is the greatest Super Bowl halftime show ever. And you're going to hear from an equal number of people saying this is the worst Super Bowl halftime show I've ever seen. That always happens with anything that, that kind of unravels or, uh, is rolled out, hopefully doesn't unravel, but uh, anything that plays out in real time, uh, whether it's a sporting event or something like the Academy Awards, everybody's an instant critic. Everybody wants to be me. Get out of my way. And that's fine. Everybody should have their opinion. But uh, there's this rush to kind of have immediate judgment uh, on the performances, whether it's halftime entertainment, Super Bowl, uh, stuff like that, or the national anthem before the NBA uh, All-Star Game or the... Uh, World Series, whatever the case may be, and certainly with the awards host. And we haven't had that many hosts in recent years. We've had hostless or tri-hosted or multi-hosted or no uh, Academy Awards uh, host at all. We've had certain ceremonies where they just sort of let them run by themselves. You know, this is a good pick. Uh, we have, again, you know, um, Regina Hall, Wanda Sykes, and Amy Schumer. They have all hosted one type of award show or another. They all have a lot of experience in comedy. 
it's interesting. I'd say Regina Hall has probably done the most film acting of the group, although Amy Schumer's had some roles and Wanda Sykes is on mostly television, but you know, they can pull it off. Uh, you don't necessarily have to be a movie person to host the Oscars though. And you know, if you look at the history of the Oscars, uh, some of the most famous hosts, Bob Hope did a ton of movies, but was probably better known by the time he was hosting the Oscars. He was known as a television personality who did specials and all kinds of things like that. Johnny Carson, the longtime host of the tonight show Letterman hosted Kimmel has hosted multiple times. Then you have other, other personalities like Steve Martin and Alec Baldwin, uh, Billy Crystal, who have done a lot of movie work. They've done everything, but uh, they have done a lot of movie work. But it's really not about what your movie credentials are because you're hosting a television show. You're hosting a television show that's going to last three and a half hours and is going to be boring because they're going to keep all the technical categories, and it just kind of moves at its own pace. Now, um, the producer is Will Packer, who's a real good guy. He's done a lot of movies, a lot of TV, and he issued the obligatory statement about how this show is all about uniting movie lovers. And I love Will, but yes, the Oscars should definitely be about uniting and not dividing movie lovers, although that can be fun, too. It's apropos that we've lined up three of the most dynamic, hilarious women with very different comedic styles, Will Packer said. I know the fun Regina, Amy, and Wanda will be having will translate to our audience as well. Many surprises in store. Expect the unexpected. Yeah. You know, I'm sure there's going to be a couple of big name guests that are going to come out that are not announced in advance as presenters and we'll get some decent comedy bits. Again, the Oscars are kind of what they are. There's only so much you could do with them. You get about eight minutes at the top as the host to establish the tone of the evening with your monologue. If you're Chris Rock, it's going to be more irreverent. If you're Billy Crystal, it's going to be the big musical number. And then you kind of disappear for long stretches of a time and maybe get to do a bit here and there. But then the night kind of becomes its own star Somebody gives a controversial speech. There's a big upset, and it becomes about the, the awards. I think I think this trio. I think they'll all do fine. I'm a big fan of all three of them. It's a pretty inspired choice. Although I still like my idea of only murders in the building cast of uh, Steve Martin, Martin Short, and Selena Gomez to host. John Hamm was going to join, according to the New York to the New York Times and Variety. John Hamm was in talks as a possible fourth host, but the talks fell through. How could they have fallen through? Something something went sideways there. The other Oscar announcement, and this is under the category of flat-out uh, freaking pandering, they've announced that there's going to be a vote for favorite film via Twitter during the Oscars. Uh, in fact, you can start to vote for your favorite films already using the hashtag, uh, you know, hashtag Oscars fan favorite, Oscars fan favorite. And then three Twitter users who cast their votes during this period up till March 3rd, that's the deadline, uh, along with their guests are going to get flown to L.A. and they're going to be able to present an Oscar award at the at the ceremony in 2023, all kinds of perks. Uh, you know, they talked a few years ago about actually having an official category of most popular film, and I, I don't know how you do that. You do a fan vote or you do box office always seems to me to be the way to gauge it uh, this is not you're not going to get an official oscar here if your movie gets selected but you'll be recognized by the oscars so maybe you get like a nice little subway card you know 10 punches and get a free sandwich or some sort of certificate it would seem to me that unless this thing gets skewed and there's nothing scientific about this somebody could flood twitter with a bunch of egg face fake accounts and go crazy but it would seem to me that the clear winner will be Spider-Man No Way Home, which made billions worldwide at the box office. This is one of the most popular movies of all time, even adjusted for inflation, even uh, in taking in all other factors. It's 
one of the top 25 movies of all time in terms of popularity, which is pretty cool. A, because Spider-Man's always been huge, but not the biggest star, although we've had three generations now. And the brilliance, of course, of this last one was to bring the original two, or the other two, I should say, Spideys, Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire back, and that was great. Sorry if you haven't seen the film. Too bad. It's too late. The uh, the moratorium on, uh, on spoilers has been lifted. The embargo has been lifted. But uh, it's it's a huge hit, and to make that kind of box office at a time when some people are still, uh, you know, experiencing trepidation about going to the theaters, I think is pretty cool indeed. But yeah, it's going to win, right? For for most popular film, so I don't know if if it ends up being you know the worst person in the world or something like that or uh, licorice pizza, cool. <laughs> but I don't think that's going to happen. So the Oscars, March twenty seventh. Row and I will have a, a complete show sometime in mid-March where we fill out our ballot and you guys can fill out your ballots and we can all compare notes. Uh, I will say we talked about the nominations last week and it's definitely going to be an interesting year in terms of, uh, you know, we talk about snubs or surprises or upsets because there are not tons of huge favorites. There are not tons of huge favorites in most of the main categories that people are all about. Any one of two or three actors could win in any of those categories. The Best Picture nominees, there are 10. There are probably five that could win. So when you're filling out your ballot this year, you got a chance for some upsets. Should be fun. Before we get to reviews, a couple of other things going on. I wanted to talk uh, real quick uh, in the wake of the Super Bowl, which I thought was a great game, about a trend that we see. This is really nothing brand new, but now it's become an immediate thing. We have all this in the conversation. Is somebody in the, in the conversation for the Hall of Fame? Is such and such in the conversation for all pro? Is somebody in the conversation to be, become the head coach of the, the Bears, whatever the case may be? And now there's a whole thing about legacy. We seem to be in the sports media obsessed with legacy. You see things all the time where they have half-hour discussions on Patrick Mahomes' legacy and where he stands in the rankings of NFL quarterbacks. He's played like four years, people, and he's got a Super Bowl MVP, and he's got an MVP, and he's got all these uh, accomplishments, and yet people are like, well, now, you know, what about him in the big games? We've seen a couple big games. He hasn't won. There's this immediate rush to decide who should be enshrined and who should not. Uh, the big discussion this week was about uh, Matthew Stafford, who came out of Georgia, the number one pick in the NFL draft, played for years for the Lions and had this giant arm and showed flashes of great talent, but they were one of the worst teams in NFL history. And, you know, he spent a lot of time on his back and smacked around through a lot of interceptions, but still had some huge numbers. And everybody always said, well, if Matthew Stafford had the right arsenal, if he had the right protection from the offensive line, if he had go-to targets, he could be something special. He gets traded to the Rams. Guess what? That's what happens. He had his ups and downs, but in the Super Bowl, before OBJ got hurt, made a couple of great catches, including a touchdown uh, reception. Cooper Cup, a rare non-quarterback Super Bowl MVP. Uh, the Rams win. A lot of people thought Matthew Stafford should have been uh, the MVP, but now there's all this talk. Is he a Hall of Famer? All of a sudden, because you won one Super Bowl, and you got these big numbers that were kind of inflated because it's a pass-happy era in the NFL. There's all this discussion about whether or not he should be in the Hall of Fame. Richard Sherman, great uh, great, and very outspoken, always cornerback, uh, uh, says, no, Matthew Stafford is not worthy it, just because he won one Super Bowl. It's like a participation trophy, he said. He was never on an all-decade team. He's never been all-pro. He's never been MVP, one Pro Bowl, not even MVP of the Super Bowl, which favors quarterbacks, of course. Never considered the best at his position in any year he played. 
Well, all of that is true, but uh, I think if there's more to it than that. You got to look again at the fact that uh, Matthew Stafford played for such a terrible team. Probably would have made at least some more postseason appearances that he'd been on the Rams or another team all this time. But what kills me is how we immediately have to get into this stuff. It's like, let the guy enjoy his one week at least before we talk about his legacy and uh, whether or not he gets into the Hall of Fame, you know, which would be five-plus years from now anyway. One last thing before I take a break. I wanted to talk about a couple of shows people have been asking me a lot about, Inventing Anna on Netflix and also The Tinder Swindler. And by the way, The Tinder Swindler is one of the great titles of all time for a show, for a book, for a series. You know exactly what's going on there. People went on Tinder and got swindled, and that's exactly what did happen. You can find a bit of everything on Tinder, but one little swipe can change your life. When I first talked with Simon, immediately we had a bond. He was smart and funny and very impulsive. I shared my whole heart with him. And then he asked me if I wanted to travel with him on a private jet. I was like, shit. He took me to a five-star hotel. He said we had a special connection. It felt like stepping into a movie. And then in the middle of the night, he said there was something he wants to tell me. The Tinder Swindler is the, t- <laughs> the Tinder Swindler. Say that one time slowly is a documentary about this guy who uh, really uh, worked these women, according to the, the allegations they make in the documentary. Classic thing, he's a diamond merchant, his dad is super wealthy, and he's got all the trappings of being super rich, and he attracts all these smart, attractive, successful young women, all of whom think they're an exclusive relationship with him, which is not true. And then he starts having money problems because they're tracing money because there's bad guys out to get him. And can you just forward me this? Or can I use your American Express account for that? And next thing you know, they're out of tens of thousands of dollars. Uh, this clown, um, you know, he didn't get convicted of crimes. Uh, he did delete his account. His his name is uh, 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 Shimon Hayut. He used the name uh, Simon Leviev when he was doing this ten, uh, Tinder scamming, allegedly. And now this guy's talking about how he's got a bunch of things in development. He'd like to be in a reality dating show where you get to date him. He can give people tips. And the victims are setting up GoFundMe accounts for themselves. It's a complete mess. I don't really feel sorry for anybody terribly here. I mean, the women got swindled. It's easy when you're watching these things to say, how could they be so stupid? But we've all, you know, we've all been swindled one way or another emotionally at some point in our lives. So I'm not going to come on come down too hard on these women i'm also not going to contribute to the gofundme sorry there are victims of much worse things out there so and you know these women are, are telling their stories out there too they they can get paid the other one is inventing anna this is a nine-part netflix series uh created by the great shonda rhimes um this is uh based on a true story but it's completely uh fictionalized uh julia garner who everybody or a lot of people know from ozark is playing Anna Delvey, a.k.a. Anna Sorokin, who uh, pretended to be this wealthy German heiress in the 2010s, and she built a lot of people kind of in the same way, you know, talking big deals, figured out a way to get herself, you know, in you know, her foot in the door, you know, charmed a lot of men, charmed a lot of women. Everybody thought she was the real deal, this sort of Russian exotic heiress and all this money but she kept having cash flow problems and would be staying at hotels and then getting kicked out and then would borrow money from her friends and what what both of these 
uh, alleged car artist in, in Anadelle's case, it's uh, convicted. She was sentenced to four to 12 years in prison. Uh, they're always so offended and outraged when accused of doing anything wrong by their friends. How dare you? I've been here for you. I've tried to help you. Uh, the Tinder Swindler, I am definitely recommending as a documentary. It's fascinating to watch. I'm not recommending inventing Anna. You know, it's interesting. The performances are good, although the the stuff where <laughs> where the you know the intrepid reporter is is telling this story and befriends her, it's based on a true story. It does not do the reporter any justice or certainly any favors. It, it is we're watching one of the worst reporters ever uh, tried to uh, make this story work. Uh, but for me, it was just too long at nine parts. It just went on forever. And um, I thought uh, some of the interpretations and some of the acting choices weren't great. But more than anything else, I think it really had to do with the fact that it's just too long. All right, when we come back, we're going to do uh, What Not to Watch and the Thursday 3. But first, Rokan has some words about Portillo's. Let me tell you about our friends at Portillo's, the finest fast casual experience you're going to have in all of dining. Portillo's, you know, not just hot dogs. A lot of you know when it started in Chicago, people were like, "Oh, it's a hot dog shop." Oh wait, oh wait, we got we got Italian beef. Wait, we got Italian sausage. Wait, you got chocolate cake. <laughs> oh man, it's just uh, it's just one of the great experiences you can have. And I, I think I just said this a couple days ago. Mm -hmm. If you live somewhere where Portillo's is new in California, Arizona, parts of Florida. Check it out. Go. Have the chocolate cake. You get a little slice of home if you're from the Midwest, you're from Chicago, or you're from the East Coast too because, you know, that that food will be very familiar to you as street food. And I know what you're thinking. You're like, ah, oh, you know, I'm, I'm gonna, you know, it's going to be so heavy. It's not. Mm. And can I just tell you something? Mm. The best thing about Portillo's mm. is – that bun that they put the Italian beef on yeah, yeah. that you get now when you get that dipped and it gets all wet, yeah. that is the perfect piece of bread. <laughs> and, you know, carbs be damned. You can do it once a month. You're sure. not going to hurt anything. You'll be fine. Portillo's.com. P-O-R-T-I-L-L-O-S is how you spell that. Portillo's.com. Find a store near you or order online and you can get it anywhere in the United States of America. Portillo's.com. You should see this. What are you doing in our house? You really shouldn't be here. This is hardesty. Sally? I'm afraid your old friend's back. Fifty years I've been waiting for this night just to see him again. Who? Leatherface. That was a clip from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2022 version. I believe it's movie law at this point that we now have to revisit every single horror franchise from the 70s and 80s with a reboot or a sequel or a spiritual sequel or a reimagination or whatever you want to call it. In this case, um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. First of all, let's with Texas Chainsaw Massacre, we have to give the 1974 film its due because Texas Chainsaw Massacre was a made kind of on the cheap drive-in type of horror movie, but it really influenced uh, generations of horror films because it this came before Friday the 13th and Halloween. Uh, 
and Nightmare on Elm Street, and then of course, you know, Scream and the next generation of kind of meta films. And uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre kind of introduced us. We had it in a few other films, but what they call the final girl, and that's used in quotes, which means there's, you know, one young woman at the end doing battle with this, uh, you know, this specter, this ghost, this super strong killer, this fingernail clawed guy from your dreams, this guy with a hockey mask, and in this case, Leatherface, uh, who wielded a, a, a chainsaw in Texas. That's the title, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And it, it, you know, the, the original film is not a great film, but it's got some gory moments and some sick humor and pretty effective. Uh, there have been all kinds of Texas Chainsaw Massacre films since then, just like we've had with Halloween and uh, Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the 13th, and sometimes they follow a certain chronological path in the case of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, there was an origin story. Sometimes they're, they're kind of completely standalone. What they're doing with this is what they did with the Halloween franchise. This version of Texas Chainsaw Massacre is a direct sequel to the 1974 film. Doesn't necessarily give a shit about all those other movies in between. I'm not recommending it. It, it it's cheaply made. It doesn't have it tries to have a wicked sense of humor, but it's mostly just dumb. And they bring back one of the original characters, uh, the final girl, if you will, as they've done with Halloween, as they did with Scream. I think the mistake here is that there's not the same kind of attachment to the characters in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Everybody remembers Leatherface, but how much do we remember about the victims and the survivors as opposed to Halloween where, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis made, uh, you know, Laurie Strode such an iconic character and then uh, Nev Campbell did that with Sidney Prescott, uh, bringing back an original, and, and the actor is actually a different actor because the original actress has passed away, but uh, bringing back you know, an original beloved character from a franchise that doesn't really have that kind of standing, then it doesn't have that kind of a dramatic impact as well. So uh, it, there are two sickeningly hilarious, grotesque, what we used to call quality kills in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, where you're just like, I can't believe they did that. I give them credit for that, but the rest of the movie does not hold up. I never was in love with this franchise anyway, but Texas Chainsaw Massacre, it's a Netflix film, by the way, uh, not worth seeing. Very different end of the spectrum, but also kind of dealing in, in horror and chills and the unknown is a series called Severance, uh, directed by Ben Stiller. Very interesting premise here. Uh, Adam Scott, who people know from Parks and Rec and a lot of other things, um, he plays a guy who has voluntarily uh, opted in on the severance program, which does not mean you get laid off from your job. It means that through a kind of brain surgery type of procedure, you get a severance between your work self and your personal life self. So when you enter the hallways of this mega company that his character does, Mark S., that Adam Scott plays, he can't remember anything about his life outside of work for eight hours a day. We learn quickly on that that's because he's a widow. He's in deep, deep mourning for the loss of his wife. So when he goes into work, he has no memories of that, no knowledge of who he is and what he's been through in the outside world. But when you have two versions of people, sometimes the, the inside people in the office want to get out and the outside people start wondering what's going on on the inside. Neither one of those two halves of you know what the other one's really doing. And it's a really intriguing Twilight Zone, Black Mirror 
type of premise. But again, stretched out over a full season, I, I found it too slow moving and the big reveals uh, were kind of predictable. So I'm actually not recommending Severance. Uh, I talked a little bit about uh, Inventing Anna, which is about Anna Sorokin, the, uh, the con artist from the 2010s in New York. Not recommending that as well. And one more not to watch. This one's been getting a ton of advertisement, a lot of hype. And, you know, it's kind of inspired with the pairing of Tom Holland and Mark Wahlberg. The movie's called Uncharted. It's based on a video game franchise. They've been trying to make a movie out of this for 15 years with, with different actors in it. It's basically uh, Mark Wahlberg plays Sully, who's a veteran treasure seeker. And uh, Tom Holland is the is the the new young guy who's got some skills of his own, and they they pair up for kind of a national treasure meets Indiana Jones, meets the Mummy, meets Ocean's Eleven type of uh, adventure. And Holland's really good. Uh, you know, it's it's fun watching him zip around because we know he's got uh, you know he's got gymnastical qualities. He is a stuntman, so you know he's doing a lot of stunt work. Mark Wahlberg's been a reliable movie star for twenty years, although he doesn't seem that animated or engaged in this film it feels like a paycheck they're not as good together as you'd think it's a buddy movie and then it's not a buddy movie antonio banderas hams it up as the villain we've seen all this before so those are the ones we are saying take a break do not watch but we got some good stuff as well the thursday three uh this came out last week but we were doing a special oscars show so we didn't get a chance to talk about death on the nile the kenneth branagh film uh, long delayed, much anticipated. Finally, I think they made it almost four years ago now. Finally in theaters, I loved it. You know, you gather all these, you know, these big stars. And in this case, a couple of stars almost got canceled in Army Hammer and uh, Letitia Wright. I think Army kind of did. All of the stuff was made before their respective controversies. Uh, Gal Gadot's in this, and of course, uh, Kenneth Branagh himself as uh, Inspector Poirot. Uh, and it's really well done, and you get everybody together, and there's a lot of murder. You know, for being such a good uh, detective at solving crimes, he's not very good at preventing them. There are a lot of crimes that happen on his watch. But it's a good old-fashioned movie with big stars and great locations, Death on the Nile. I didn't think I'd like this next one, but I gotta be honest with you guys. Dog, which is one of the dumbest titles for a movie of all time, Dog. They just called it Dog. Uh, and this is Channing Tatum. You've probably seen the ads, and he's with a former service dog, an army dog. His arming buddy has died. Now he's got to take the unruly dog across the country for the funeral of his friend because his friend's family, they recognize that this dog was like his partner, was really like a best, a really, truly best friend for him in combat. And you know where this movie's going from the start. You know, we're going to get a lot of wacky hijinks with that unruly dog getting off the leash and tearing up things and gosh knows, might end up in a bathtub, you know, stuff you'd see in a 1960s flubber movie. And then you're going to get the genuinely, you know, touching and sincere stuff about soldiers dealing with PTSD and the the, the unbelievable value of, of these dogs. It's all manipulative. It's all corny. There are times when the dog is more expressive than Channing Tatum in their scenes together, but it's not easy to act with dogs. People will tell you that. And I still am going to recommend it because it got me, especially the last 10 or 15 minutes. You know, it's like, wow. In saving the dog, he might save himself. We've seen this movie a million times before, but really well done. And Channing Tatum, uh, I think one of the reasons he's had you know a long career, he's, he'd probably be the first time he's not the world's most emotive actor. I don't know if you're going to see him, you know, with Kenneth Branagh on stage one day doing Shakespeare. Uh, but he knows his lane. He knows his zone. He kind of he knows how great he looks, and they make sure that we get you know lots of great shots of him. 
Uh, but he has a sense of humor about himself. There's a likability there, self-deprecating in a lot of his characters. He's actually played a lot of guys who are great looking but kind of down in the dumps because of their own making. And that would it kind of helps make him a little bit more likable. It's expired, sir. Oh, come on, man. You know how many times I've been in and out of this gate with that? Excuse me? What's the odds on ISIS? It's about the vehicle, sir. You want me to step hey. out the vehicle? I'll have a... He's with Ranger Battalion. Ranger Battalion. I've been busting my ass to get my mind and my body back into a good place. I need to get back in the game, sir. You want to get back in the game? Prove it. Sergeant Rodriguez was a legend. Family funeral Sunday outside of Nogales. They want his dog at the funeral. You do this, and you're back in the game. She won't work with anyone. One minute she's good, the next minute she's sending three guys to the ER. What's up, dog? The final recommendation for the week on the Thursday 3 is Kimmy. K-I-M-I. This stars Zoe Kravitz, who's already done a lot of good work and is about to uh, be seen by Kazillions uh, playing Catwoman in the new The Batman, which we'll have a review of in just a couple of weeks. And Kimmy, she plays a tech worker who's agoraphobic, who doesn't want to leave the house. And her job is is listening to recordings made on a Siri Alexa type uh, device called Kimmy. And her job is to kind of listen to a lot of stuff and and weed out misunderstood words and uh, flag, you know, disruptive or possibly uh, dangerous activities, kind of a big brother type of thing. She hears what she thinks is evidence of a murder, her character but will she even be able to leave the house to to get the gumption to muster the courage to even leave the house and try to solve the crime? This is very Hitchcock. Uh, it's also very much like the woman in the window across the street from the girl on the bicycle, you know, with those types of things because she's in the window seeing things. But uh, Zoe Kravitz sells this movie. She's great in it. She's the best thing about it. Nice, slick, tight thriller from the prolific Steven Soderbergh, who seems to make a different type of movie every other week, and they're all great. So there you have it. What not to watch the Thursday 3. That'll do it for another edition of Screen Time. I'm Richard Roper. Rokan will be back. We'll have two fresh episodes next week. As always, thanks for downloading. Thanks for subscribing. Thanks for telling your friends, and we'll talk soon. <laughs>